0: Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report Podcast. I'm your host, Vago Miradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Congress may be out of session, but Alabama congressional leaders, that includes chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, Representative Mike Rogers, are vowing retribution after the Biden administration decided to keep United States Space Command in Colorado rather than move it to Huntsville, Alabama, as was decided by then President Trump. The administration maintains keeping the command where it is will be cheaper and less disruptive at a time when space capabilities are as important, if not more important than ever. And An update on the war as Ukraine makes battlefield gains and increasingly strikes Moscow, and Russia's former president and deputy national security advisor Dmitry Medvedev resumes Russian nuclear saber-rattling, arguing that if Ukraine's offensive is a success, Russia has no choice but to use nuclear weapons. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and some of his team, including Indo-Pacific Assistant Secretary Dr. Eli Ratner, visited Papua New Guinea, and Ratner also spoke with Yang Tao, the director of the Chinese Foreign Affairs Ministry's Department of North American and Oceanian Affairs. Uh, Meanwhile, Australia hosted a massive regional military exercise that included nations worried about China's increasingly aggressive uh, regional posture. Joining us today to discuss all of this and more are Dr. Patrick Cronin, the Asia-Pacific Security Chair at the Hudson Institute Think Tank, former Pentagon Europe Chief Jim Townsend with the Center for a New American Security and the co-host of the Brussels Sprouts podcast, a must for anybody interested in the transatlantic relationship, and former Pentagon Comptroller Dr. Dov Zakheim, who counts the Center for Strategic and International Studies among his many affiliations, uh, and one of our own Michael Herson, the President of American Defense International is off over the coming weeks. Uh, because Congress is out of session. Everybody, thanks so very much uh, for joining us. Uh, Dove, uh, you get a poll position to start us off. uh, And I wanna ask you about um, the Space Command uh, issue. Uh, The Trump administration had decided uh, on founding the Space Force, uh, that uh, the US Space Command would move from Denver, Colorado to Huntsville, Alabama since taking office, the Biden administration has been debating whether or not to stick to that decision uh, or uh, whether or not to uh, nix it. And indeed, the recommendation from the Space Command Commander, General Dickinson, is uh, that it should uh, stay. Uh, And a number of people uh, that I've spoken to in the administration, military services, wearing uniforms, have all said that this isn't a you know, political decision, and they're trying to be pragmatic about it, even though there are many who are saying that this is, you know, about frustration with Tuberville, uh, or, you know, that it's abortion or voting rights uh, related. Certainly, none of those factors play into Alabama hosting it. But, you know, how does this affect everything when uh, certainly one of the most important people uh, to the Pentagon in the House is vowing
1: retaliation? Well, you can't ignore Mike Rogers. I mean, as chairman of the House Armed Services Committee, he can really uh, make life very, very difficult for the Pentagon in a host of ways. Uh, I recall when I was comptroller, uh, I was proposing uh, one particular uh, action to take, and I got word back from the Hill that if I pursued it, I'd get fired. Uh, And there have been cases like that. Jim, the uh, Director of Program Analysis, uh, uh, crossed the chairman of the Armed of the Appropriations Committee, Senator McClellan, many years ago. McClellan got him out within forty eight hours, hmm. so Mike Rogers really could cause uh, a lot of grief over in the Pentagon. On the issue itself, I mean, there's no question that that Trump was just playing politics. Uh, Alabama's a red state; uh, he was simply uh, trying to buy them off. Um, and General Dickinson, he, he doesn't have any particular uh, 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 irons in, in Alabama's fire or in Colorado's fire. I mean, it, it's simply that uh, this, the Space Command is there. Uh, Huntsville, Alabama, by the way, is the capital of, the mi- of missile defense. Um, and they do, they've got contractors there. They, it's uh, heavily Army, by the way, but it's, it's missile defense capital. So, you know, the keeping, keeping the, uh, the space command in Colorado simply makes sense. It does save money at a time when the budgets are, are tight, uh, when at best they're going to have minimal real growth. Uh, why waste money on a move and disrupt things? And, and remember, it's not just individuals who move, it's their families who move. It's schools, it's jobs, it's all of that, which, uh, of course, uh, Senator Tuberville seems to be totally ignorant of when he holds up 300 positions. Um, but this would really be very disruptive. And as you already said, uh, this is not a time to start messing with our space capabilities. Um, I,
0: I should uh, uh, also uh, point out, right, that Huntsville, Alabama really was the home of, you know, all space in the United States before it ended up migrating out West when the German rocket scientists, um, uh, you know, came to the United States through Operation Paperclip and others. Uh, yeah, in Hawaii, but, There's but, uh, a Tyrolean uh, village uh, overlooking uh, Huntsville. I just want to point out for historical reasons. But well, that that's was right. But,
1: but it is ancient history we're talking about quite a while ago.
0: And, uh, by the way, uh, jim and 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 Patrick, uh, feel free to weigh in uh, on this uh, as well. But I wanted to go to the Tuberville Manor, uh, General Jim McConville, who, after just an extraordinary uh, uh, tenure, uh, trying to drive innovation across the United States Army, uh, retired uh, on uh, Thursday evening at, at joint base Fort Myers-Henderson Hall uh, after, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> he spent 12 years in uh, the cultural transformation chair uh, as, uh, you know, the, the um, uh, personnel boss of the Army, then as the vice chief and then as, as uh, the chief of staff. And yet we're looking at Tuberville still gumming up the works, uh, right? I mean, I, this, this entire Space Command issue is likely to exacerbate uh, that uh, as well, in part because the reporting uh, is sort of, you mm. know, hinting, or at least the the Alabama delegation is 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 claiming, uh, you know, that they're somehow being penalized for this <clears> stuff. <throat> how, do, how does this work out? Because uh, Chuck Schumer actually might have a solution here. Uh, you were yeah. discussing with us before we started.
1: Yes, I was in the Pentagon just uh, earlier this week, and uh, there's a, at least a rumor going around that uh, Schumer may decide to hold hearings, say, on the top uh, 10 positions. Remember, we're talking about four chiefs of staff and the chairman who are being held up. And as I think I mentioned on last week's podcast, it's extremely difficult for a uh, someone to be both chief and vice chief at the same time they're supposed to be traveling and meeting with their counterparts all over the world. They're supposed to be chief operating officers managing everything inside the building. It's just too hard to do. So hopefully there's some truth to this rumor. Uh, and that given that there are only 12 working days left, uh, on the congressional calendar before the uh, fiscal year ends, Hopefully, uh, they, Schumer can squeeze in uh, 10 quick ones to at least get the, the top people into their jobs. Otherwise, it, it, the mess remains ever bigger. You know, We're now up to something like 300 positions, and the number is just going to keep on growing. Uh, and I should point out that
0: uh, General Randy George uh, has been nominated to succeed uh, General McConville. And indeed, the administration's strategy and the U-turn over the whole Paparo uh, matter, you know, in part was also driven by, hey, the original idea was let's get the vices fleeting up. It, it makes life easy for everybody. General Alvin uh, was tapped to succeed CQ Brown, just like Lisa Franchetti uh, was was uh, tapped to succeed Mike Gilday, just as Eric uh, Smith was uh, tapped to replace uh, uh, David uh, Berger, um, Jim or Patrick, mm-hmm. do you guys uh, want to weigh in on this uh, at all? Having seen multiple similar kind of dramas, whether the Space Command affair, uh, Jim, I'm sure you've got stories about you know installation related uh, decisions and <laughs> you know ire of members, but you as well, Patrick. Sort of any 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 points you have on either one of those? By the way, if you guys don't have any points, I'm very happy to go directly to Ukraine and Russia questions.
2: I, the only point that I would raise is it reminded me of trying to figure out where to put Africa Command. And um I and I remember um thinking that uh you know we were having trouble with on the Azores. We were about ready to downsize a base and I suggested that we put Africa Africa Command down there in the Azores. And I was almost fired for that. But um but I, but they eventually decided uh, that it was wiser to keep it up there with European Command and and uh, and make them twinned and and that's what happened, which is, which is great. And so I think at the end of the day, common sense has, uh, has you know ruled here with uh, with Space Command. So I, I do hate it when the politics get involved and we don't take into consideration the families, particularly. Uh, and then the the forces themselves and uh, what they might have to endure one way or another. So sometimes politics wins, and it's just a tragedy. And I think in this case, uh, it sounds like to me, and I'm I'm not a space cadet here, but I sounds like to me it ended it landed in the right place.
0: Um, I, I would also uh, add, I think it's good to have these ba- these commands geographically distributed around the country, irrespective of whether it's in a red state or a blue state. I don't think that there's any sort of obligation or anything written in stone that all of the you know, U.S. military capabilities have to trickle uh, to, to southern or to red states. Patrick, do you have anything you want to add briefly?
3: No, I agree with Dov and Jim. And uh, all I can say is uh, Asia watches us very closely. And when we look uh, dysfunctional and confused and disrupted, uh, it doesn't impress them very much.
0: Uh, Jim, uh, certainly uh, a big week and I want to get your take on on where uh, the war is Uh, very dynamic situation Ukrainians uh, making uh, some gains but at the same time you're right worries about running out of ammunition I want to get to that in a minute and then there's Russia's uh, nuclear uh, saber rattling uh, on, on top of that, as as well as some U-turns in terms of maybe the way the Ukrainians are prosecuting this. It looks like they've been on a little bit of a run, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the analysts who watch this closely maintain that the Ukrainians have managed to get some gains. They've been very strategic in taking out Ukrainian ammunition uh, stores. Uh, as well as uh, command posts and 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 the like. Uh, from your standpoint, where do we stand in in the conflict right now, and and how are the Ukrainians doing? And I think the Dove actually has a follow up question for you on this question.
2: Uh, well, you laid it out very well. I, I would just add that um, uh, you know we need to get more air defense down to Odessa. I know that uh, that's uh, that's not uh, you know brain surgery of an idea there. Uh, that's that's something that. Uh, 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 you know, ammunition, particularly, but Patriot systems, uh, other kinds of air defense. You know, this multi-layered air defense is, and, and and getting some other type of air defense down there in the south to protect those the granary and the and the ports down there. I think are, is going to be really important to do. And that brings up what you just mentioned, which is ammunition stocks and other things that we've got to really stay on top of because they're burning through a lot of the um, a lot of the Patriot uh, and and other kinds of of munitions that they use for air defense. So, uh, so it's always going to be the top of the list is to continue with the ammunition, but you're right in terms of there has been over the past few days, uh, both people in the Pentagon and elsewhere are saying that, um, it looks like the Ukrainians have found some weak spots. They've been able to get through some of the, uh, obstacles that have been put up, uh, and they're beginning to take back some more land, but it's still, it's not a route. You know, the Russians are fighting back both there in the South, as well as, having their own little offensives uh further north. Uh the Russians are they're pro- they're pushing and, and putting pressure up there. So um so we we are beginning to see uh some movement past the obstacle belts uh that the that the Russians have uh, put up. But the, still there's a lot of that still there. The Ru- and the Ukrainians are trying to make their way through those obstacles um uh and to try to drive towards the Sea of Azov. So uh Storm Shadow has been doing great as well as I think uh the cluster munitions as well, but particularly storm shadow um, in terms of hitting the rear areas, the ammunition dumps, uh, troop concentrations, that type of thing, that's continuing. Uh, And so we are where we are. Uh, This is something that we've talked about in the past. We've just gotta be patient and let this move forward. I understand the Russians have passed a law over the past couple of days uh, to uh, electronically begin to call up again, young Russian men to send them down. Into the meat grinder. Um, we know that the training is very weak for them. Uh, they they will probably be given some rusty AK-47s uh, to go down. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, that's that. Just shows that Putin is doubling down. Mm. He doesn't feel like he's you know trapped or in a corner or that he's going to be run over by uh, Ukrainians uh, or oligarchs who might be after him. Uh, he's doubling down and and so we're gonna see uh, this kind of thing I think continuing for the next few weeks. It's not a route. it's going to be still one foot
0: in front of the other as they make their way through obstacles. Uh, Dove, what's your uh, question for Jim?
1: Yeah, um, Jim, uh, you and I actually discussed this and I think it would be useful for you to provide some context. Um, there's a report that I came across that the Ukrainians are basically saying, we've got to fight the way we fight that the western training isn't working for us right now uh and you had some thoughts as to why that is that might be taking place and i thought you might want to elaborate on it
2: well yeah absolutely dove and i've i've heard that type of thing too and i'm not surprised i mean uh, what they're what they're not doing is rejecting what the west has done they're not sitting there and pushing back on the west and saying you're not helping us um, they've gotten training from a lot of different countries, uh, some of it just basic, uh, and, but some of it a little higher level training uh, to involve maneuver warfare. If you're going to have Bradleys, Strikers, the M1A2, Leopard 2s, um, you're, 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 you want to do at least some aspect of maneuver warfare. That's what has worked for us. Um, And the feeling was that this could work in this case as well. And so the the Ukrainians were trained, some of the units were trained in this and outfitted with equipment to Mm. do this. I think I think that feeling, though, that uh, of disappointment, at least, is that right now they can't use maneuver because they're trying to make it through these obstacles. Um, And then once they're through them, uh, they might be able to to use some of what they were taught in terms of maneuver. But I think what they're finding right now is that this is still a war of attrition. This is still something where it's artillery on artillery. And the Ukrainians are doing very well on that, by the way. Um, and it's something where it's just going to be, it's a knife fight, uh, you know, and, and that's, I think, was what they're getting at, is they're going to have to fight the way they've, they have fought in the past, uh, the way they might have been taught during the Soviet days, um, that they're not going to be grabbing onto all of this, uh, this Western uh, training and employing that, at least not yet. And I think we need to make the point, too, is that, yes, they did get training, but they didn't get a couple of years of training and exercises and and going out into the southwest US there uh uh to do um you know large scale training in the desert. Uh you know, they, they got a they got a taste of it. And so uh we we have to you know keep our expectations based on on the fact that they have just had a smattering of this, but they've gotten some basic training. They've gotten training on the equipment. Mm-hmm. They've gotten some training on how to use them and, and that's kind of what they hope to be able to use at some point. They just can't do it right now.
0: A follow up question in a moment, but uh, a quick word from our sponsors HII sponsors our global coverage, General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, Ultra Intelligence and Communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and GE Aerospace sponsors uh, our air and naval uh, coverage uh, as well. Um, Jim, you know, uh, on this program, we've been talking uh, about this for a long time about the need to sort of really step up production on our end. There are a whole bunch of seri- reasons why we're moving. A little bit more slowly. Um, you know, there have been calls, and we've been calling on this program to get more air and missile defenses into Odessa to defend Ukrainian grain supplies and and get more innovative on how uh, you know we can get that um, out of. Uh, the the Russian gun sites, but one of the other challenges is just simply running out of ammunition. Not only were the Ukrainians looking for cluster munitions, but we were running out of artillery shells. Um, great story. I can't remember if it was in the in the Times or the Post on Thursday. You know, talking about ammunition shortfalls and how they're likely to affect this. But Dove has pointed out numerous times the Russians have gone twenty four seven in terms of ammunition uh, production. Hey, um, keep
3: it you know,
0: from how, what's the approach we need to have. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what our commitment to Ukraine is, as long as all of us manage to somehow fail to deliver ammunition at the rate that they need it. I mean, when your back's against the wall, we're telling them, "Well, be very, very selective how you shoot this stuff." At at some point, you're trying to beat the dragons away from your door.
2: Well, I mean that's that's right, and and part of the training, by the way, that they that they've received, I'm certain, is um, is rate of fire and and not to uh, you know to be concerned about burn rate uh and that's small arms i mean you've seen some of these videos they're just pouring on the small arms fire and i can understand why i don't think we should sit there and say only fire every now and then but but there is training that has to be part of how one goes about the rate of fire and uh, um and i'm sure they've they've heard of some of that they've, they've, they've gone through some of that um so the the eu is also stepping up production of, of ammo and, and frankly is we, we have to talk about the different types of ammo 155. 155 millimeter ammo, I think, is, is always perpetually in short supply. Small arms ammunition as well. Uh, then, of course, you've got the higher range stuff like uh, Gimler's, uh, like what Patriot uses, and, you know, all those kinds of uh, uh, high-end ammo that's used for very specific mission strikes. That's very, that's very, very costly, and we don't have a lot of those, and the whole thing about attackums is that the fear is that we don't have ourselves a lot of attackums. So, So it really, it depends on the kind of ammunition uh, that you're talking about uh, in terms of what's causing the shortage. 155 uh, ammo, I think that we have to have a constant stream of that. That's got to be a focus both for Europe and for the U.S. Uh, Gimblers as well. Those are high rate. But small arms too. I mean, uh, that's going to be important. So there's there's a... uh, you know, I think it's a well-recognized in the West where we have problems and what the priority should be in terms of, of production and what we can help the Ukrainians manufacture themselves. You know, they also have a, a pretty high – they used to have a high-grade high um, uh, defense capability manufacturing, and so certainly 155. Might be something that they could take on themselves, but but ammo will always be a problem. And last thing I'll say on that is in World War One, the Brits had the same problem towards the end of the war, right? uh, In fact, Winston Churchill, when he came back from the front, if you remember, he went there after the um disastrous uh, discussions, uh, there in the Boxworth. Um, he went back, uh, he went back to London after being on the front and he became minister of munitions because they had to get someone. To, to increase the amount of, of ammunition going to the Western but, Front. And we've got something very similar here.
0: Um, let me, uh, I'm, I'm gonna go to uh, Patrick uh, in, in just a moment, but I've got two uh, quick questions uh, to ask you. Poland and Lithuania uh, are uh, worried. And in fact, uh, on Thursday warned uh, of uh warned, you know, again, against, against uh, Wagner uh, group against provocations uh, from uh, Belarus. Uh, we've been talking about this uh, for some time. And we also heard Dmitry Medvedev start rattling the nuclear saber again, which sort of seems at this point, right, it, it hasn't worked. And it, it just sounds ridiculous. You know, if, if their offensive succeeds, we've got to use nuclear weapons. All right. I mean, they're just taking back their territory that you seized from them. So I suppose there might be logic there at some point. Um, You know, what, what, how seriously should we take both of these threats uh, effectively? Because it's very, it seems to me somewhat unlikely that Belarus is going to risk going to war against NATO for Vladimir Putin.
2: Well, I mean, you're exactly right. And I think in terms of, um, you know, how seriously should we take these? I think you always have to start off by saying whether it's the nuclear threat from uh, Medvedev or if it's uh, Wagner, uh, we, you have to take them seriously. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of disasters that have occurred when, when people don't take a threat seriously and they lay back and, and think that they can stick their heads in the sand. But I think we have to look at the nature of both of these, first on Medvedev and, and what he said about nukes um, we've, like you said, we've heard this before from him, particularly. Uh, while we have to watch them and take the take this very seriously, there's a lot of countries uh, like China that do not want Russia uh, to use a nuclear weapon, and I think that goes for the West as well. Many interlocutors from the West and from China have talked to the Russians about this that this wasn't wouldn't be good for anyone, including Russia. There's just there's not a battlefield reason for them to do that. So it's a psyops kind of thing. Uh, but they have said it so often now that I think it doesn't have the effect that it might have had last year, uh, and, and when it's when the causing concerns about escalation. But at the end of the day, you have to take it seriously. We are taking it seriously. We have to watch it, uh, and we have to be ready for a, both to deter as well as to respond if that deterrence breaks down. On uh, uh, de- Belarus.
0: Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah go ahead. On,
2: on, on Belarus and Wagner. Um, yeah, we, ha- we do have to w- w- worry and, 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 and take actions as we have been taken uh, to deter something coming out of Belarus. But, but if you look at the situation there, uh, the Wagner group is not made up of well-trained, professional Western-style militaries. They're cutthroats. They're mercenaries. You know, uh, and they're, they're, they, they respond only to um, uh, Prigozhin. So, uh, you know, as far as a, a lethal group, that can, that can uh, do an invasion. I, you know, I'm not sure these mercenaries are up for that. The Belarusian military themselves are, they're very reluctant to get involved in this war at all. They're also not exactly a top flight military organization. Uh, The soldiers from Belarus are reluctant to get involved in that war. They don't want to get involved in that war. Uh, they don't see themselves in this fight. And so the idea that you would have Wagner mercenaries leading a Belarusian force to invade a NATO country, particularly one like Poland, uh, that is well armed and ready for a fight. I just I just don't see it. Um, I think I think for the very similar reasons, the same, same, same thing for Lithuania. But at the same time, you've got to take it seriously. You've got to take actions to make sure they get that point. Uh, but I don't look on that as something that's uh, that's necessarily realistic. I've been wrong before, but I just think in this case, uh, we have to see that this thread is not what it, it it might seem to be to others.
0: Um, Dov, uh, you have uh, a quick interjection before uh, we go uh, to Patrick.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm with Jim on this. I think what Medvedev is doing uh, at Putin's behest is to try to play with the White House's head. Uh, remember, this has been a, a reason for us to self-deter Uh, and send our weapons far more slowly than we otherwise would. We still haven't shipped ATAKUMS. The Ukrainians need F-16s, and this may simply be a way to ensure that that doesn't happen. Remember also, where exactly would they blow off a nuke? If they do it over the Black Sea and the winds blow blow in, in the direction of NATO allies, Bulgaria, or Romania, or if they blow if they blow on over that uh, creates fallout over Poland, they're risking an Article five situation in a war with NATO. So I don't right. believe it's terribly credible. But I do think they're trying again to simply get what the White House to stall on some of the weapons that uh, would really uh, help the Ukrainians maybe uh, break through.
0: Patrick, an enormous amount of news uh, in the uh, Indo-Pacific, but from your standpoint, right, I mean, the Chinese are always uh, pretty thoughtful, and I've asked you this question uh, before, right, I mean, when you're talking about running out of ammunition stocks, and, and here we are now, uh, 18, more than 18 months into this war, and you're still seeing us move very tentatively uh, you know, what, what is what is the message that that's uh, sending the Chinese? Because the point I like to make is the Chinese are actually good at a lot of things, including counting. <laughs> um, you know, and if, if we, we just don't have as many of a particular weapon we might need, it's, it's not like they don't notice.
3: Indeed, the Chinese are great record keepers uh, of note. Um, I think uh, this works both ways, though, Vago. If we shipped too much to Ukraine, um, we'd be even shorter in supply in the Indo-Pacific, and they'd be counting that local arsenal as well. So there's a balance that has to go on across these two connected theaters. And I think, um, you know, I, I, I agree with uh, everything that Dove and Jim said. And I I do worry that we've been slow to provide the uh, obvious arms that Ukraine needs, and we've not been able to provide them, even if we had wanted to. I think in some cases, because of our industrial base and the just-in-time Nature of its uh, creation over the past decades, but you know, it, I'm thinking also though here about where Russia stands. Is you know, Putin um, is, as you say, 18 months into this three-day special military operation. Um, he, his defense minister just had to go to Pyongyang, um, and he sent back his plane, his IL-62 plane, for a couple of days. We don't know exactly what that's about, um, but it does suggest that there were more than handshakes uh, done there in Pyongyang and and that Russia is going to be increasingly reliant on that wonderful country, North Korea um, for for this. And then Putin's got to show up in China in mid-October at the Belt and Road Initiative to give um, kudos to uh, Xi Jinping and show that uh, Putin really is the junior partner in that relationship. So, you know, I think those things matter too. China's aware of that um, and uh, realize that they think U.S. and China are the two superpowers, um, and, uh, and there's a bit of a stalemate, and they're in competition with that. So they're, not, they're less concerned, frankly, about how Russia does, unless, except for going too far, not using nukes, for instance, or um, if they lose and collapse, that would be too much as well for China to swallow. They need, they need the Russian pole in that multipolar world that I've talked about in the past.
0: Um, let me uh, take you to a story uh, that's breaking uh, as we uh, tape uh, this. Uh, that there are, uh, you know, two U.S. Navy sailors are charged with helping uh, the Chinese. They're two uh, sailors uh, in uh, California uh, accused of giving Chinese intelligence officers U.S. military secrets. They're two, uh, by uh, all accounts, Chinese American uh, uh, sailors. Um, uh, Jin uh, Jin Chow Wei, known as Patrick Wei, who's uh, 22, uh, and uh, Petty Officer uh, Wen Hang Zhao, uh, 26, known as Thomas, uh, charged with uh, um, providing military secrets in exchange for bribes, uh, uh, what, what have you. Th- this is coming on the heels of the administration taking remarkably seriously the notion of Chinese malware across military uh, uh, n- uh, networks as well as uh, commercial infrastructure that would uh, be vital for a U.S. response in a crisis in, in the uh, Indo-Pacific. Uh, talk to us um, uh, about both of these developments and how they fit uh, into sort of an understanding of the broader framework, because the Chinese are very, very good at getting information, whether through espionage, whether through stealing it. And, you know, they are they want to inflict a thousand cuts that slow us from being able to respond, for example, to Taiwan or elsewhere. What What's the context that we should be taking uh, uh, both of, um, you know, how do these fit into the broader context?
3: Sure, and you could throw into the mix uh, the case of espionage that's been brought before Taiwan uh, this week as well. So um, China clearly is working on all cylinders on its espionage. Um, and uh, this is no surprise. It's not as sensational as the uh, cashiering of the commander and the deputy of the uh, PLA rocket forces by China this past uh, couple of weeks. Um, but nonetheless, uh, it does hurt when you see young sailor, a young sailor and a young petty officer in the Navy Uh, both accused of passing on information, one showing photos apparently of our uh, command center in Okinawa. So talking about getting inside the critical infrastructure and Okinawa would be an early target in the Taiwan conflict, presumably. Um, And the the other one passing on information um, not long after he was uh, congratulated by the Chinese official apparently for uh, earning his US citizenship. So, you know, real embarrassment, but it's also uh, China's standard operating procedure to go after ethnic Chinese around the world, uh, arguing that, uh, you know, you're always Chinese and, and that um, they find that that's an easier way to exploit uh, information. Going to the, the larger question of infrastructure, uh, it was Anne Neuberger, the uh, Deputy National uh, Security Advisor for Cyber and Technology, Emerging Technology who gave an interview just recently talking about, look, there's always gonna be counter espionage, and we're always gonna be trying to counter it. But but what we're really focused on is China going after and preparing to cripple our critical infrastructure. And um, that's what we worry about. So you talked about the malware that was spotted out in Asia um, and you know, pictures of Okinawa command centers. This is indeed a high priority for counterintelligence and, and, and people working in the cyber domain. Um, because it's a high priority for China to go after.
0: You uh, mentioned uh, the two um, disappeared senior uh, military leaders. This has been a great season for senior Chinese leaders disappearing from view, uh, whether uh, they were the former uh, uh, foreign minister uh, or uh, uh, senior uh, general officers. Talk to, talk to us about that disappearance and what it signals us, again, in the broader context of how Xi Jinping uh, is is running uh, China at at a time when there are serious concerns about whether uh, the country faces serious uh, economic problems that are going to be hampering uh, its uh, performance? Uh, right. I mean, and the entire Chinese compact is: we just keep getting rich, and you trade away your rights. Follow the rules, you'll live fine. Except if that's not the case.
3: Well, the economy is the number one concern. I think for Xi Jinping, uh, when Joseph Wu, the foreign minister of Taiwan, Gave an interview this week. He talked about how a Taiwan conflict would be catastrophic, but it would especially be crippling on uh, global supply chains. Really hinting to the Chinese that your economy cannot afford to go to war over Taiwan. Um, You know, it may be though it's not a question of affordability for Xi. He could pull the trigger if he wanted to, just out of uh, national pride. But um, still, um, the PLA uh, cashiering of their leadership. Uh, the PLA Rocket Force leadership this past week has been work in the works for a few weeks, maybe a couple months, uh, and possibly over um, uh, the commander's for- now former commander of the Rocket Forces' son in America selling information to to uh, the U.S. Uh, according to Chinese sources, but whether that's true or not, who knows? But this doesn't play well for Xi Jinping. It looks either like he can't handle the corruption that continues to permeate. Uh, The PLA and the rocket force would be obviously on a critical uh, part of any invasion of Taiwan. Um, And um, it's just extremely embarrassing. He's not able to get a hold of this behemoth. The PLA doesn't necessarily trust the military anyhow. And he's he's yet calling on them every week to be ready for combat. Uh, Clearly, they don't seem to be ready for combat. And um, that's that's a problem. And we're going to see, as I've talked about in the past, fireworks coming up very soon over Taiwan. We're one year since the anniversary of the former Speaker Pelosi visit uh, to to, uh, Taiwan that triggered uh, a very strong response and exercises. We're going to see more of this kind of blockade and missile simulation exercising, I would argue, uh, here this month as the Vice President, uh, Lai Qingda, Um, who is also the candidate for the Democratic Progressive Party for the January presidential competition contest, Uh, will be transiting through New York City on the 12th, going to Paraguay for official business and then transiting through San Francisco on the 16th. So around mid-August, when I'm over in the South China Sea, um, we're gonna see, uh, I think, beginning of some new, very strong exercise activity from China to send a message and a signal to Taiwan, to Japan, to the United States, um, and and try to put, you know, underscore just how seriously they take these issues. But as with sort of the, uh, uh, you know, Russian nuclear threats, um, this is more saber rattling than action
0: we're gonna go uh, to uh, Australia's military exercises uh, as well in a in a moment to what uh, defense secretary Austin and Eli Ratner uh, accomplished while they were out there uh, but just a quick reminder to our audience to check out our weekly podcasts Cavus ships hosted by our very own Chris Cavas and Chris cervello and sponsored by hiI who clear the fog on naval and maritime matters the downlink with Laura winter who takes a thoughtful look at all things space and our air power podcast sponsored by GE aerospace uh, that I co-host Uh, with uh, J.J. Gertler. Uh, Patrick, um, not a lot of people uh, in the United States or apparently in Australia uh, and other places were paying as much attention to Papua New Guinea and Oceania Uh, Oceania, uh, and all of a sudden that's been the focus of enormous uh, amount of diplomacy. The President of the United States was going to go there, but unfortunately had to cut his visit short. Uh, But we saw the Secretary of State visit, uh, and we just saw uh, the Defense Secretary uh, visit uh, as well uh, with an important entourage. Um, Where do we stand on shoring up sort of U.S. interests in, in an area where the United States has always loomed large, Australia has loomed large until China decided that it could take advantage of the situation.
3: Well, Papua New Guinea sets astride the approaches to Australia, so it's a critical area, and uh, the United States PNG uh, relationship right now uh, has never been this good, I think, in terms of a true partnership, because uh, Secretary Austin really has pledged to hold a government support for Papua New Guinea, even though uh, the defense part of it is what we're most interested in uh, on this broadcast, perhaps. Um, I would note that, and I talked about the success of the PNG visit last week briefly, um, including the fact that we're going to be sending a Coast Guard cutter, a Sentinel class fast response cutter on August 23, is going to be in Port Moresby. And it's going to be also conducting drills uh, in the Coral Sea, but also interestingly, around the Solomon Islands, where, of course, there's a competition with China uh, essentially over the security ties to the Solomon Islands. Um, And this Coast Guard visit uh, in Papua New Guinea in these waters, by the way, um, basically is a prelude to something that's happening next year, which is uh, the stationing of a a Coast Guard cutter in the Pacific um, that was talked about at the um, U.S.-Australian Consultation Ministerial that was just held in Brisbane uh, with Secretaries Austin and Blinken and uh, Richard Marles and, and Penny Wong, their counterparts. Um, and that's interesting because now you're, you've got Coast Guard activity that's going to be doing training and exercising with other partners in the region, uh, not just Australia, but also PNG and, and other uh, Pacific Island countries uh, to help combat things like uh, illegal uh, fishing, but also to help with maritime domain awareness. So I would just cite that as one very specific example that this relationship is just going to grow uh, as part of not just a U.S. Uh, Papua New Guinea relationship, but really working with Australia and other allies and partners in the region as part of a network security uh, arrangement uh, of, that's not going to be neglected in the future.
0: Uh, and the Yang uh, Tao uh, 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 conversation uh, that uh, Dr. Ratner uh, had, uh, what's the importance of, right? I mean, the administration has been Um, Right. We we can understand, uh, you know, Hal Brands, Mike Beckley uh, have uh, written, uh, you know, a great book talking about how China becomes more dangerous. I'm among and I think there are others on this uh, program uh, who believe that the Chinese get more uh, dangerous, the more unsteady uh, they become economically, especially if you fanned up nationalism uh, as as much as uh, they have over the past uh, decade and a half or so. Um, So, you know, having channels of communication are good. Is that, I mean, it are messages being delivered? I mean, is there value of this? Because even you were a bit skeptical about this uh, sort of initiative. And I mean, it's methodical. You got to give them credit for that.
3: Well, this is interesting in several levels. Um, one, the Chinese seem to be uh, preferring to deal directly with Assistant Secretary of Defense, uh, Dr. Eli Ratner um, in the Defense Department. This is partly because they've, uh, the sanctions that are on Chinese Defense Minister, they don't want to deal with Secretary Austin, um, and they also don't want to deal with uh, one of Eli's deputies, uh, who often goes to Taiwan, because he goes to Taiwan. Um, and so, um, <laughs> you know, as a result, um, Eli is in many ways uh, the the point man for the the Pentagon on high level talks with the Chinese. But I would note we're still talking about, you know, previously it was the ambassador and now it's the director general of of their North American and Oceania Affairs um, uh, Bureau. So we're still dealing with their foreign ministry, but this may be a stepping stone toward uh, a direct defense dialogue. Won't be quite on the guardrails the way the Biden administration has wanted to to kind of pose these uh, issues, but it it probably will deal more directly with avoiding uh, accidental uh, encounters at sea and in the air. Uh, and that's what the administration's trying to drive. So I think there is a purpose to it. Um, and Yongdao did meet with uh, his uh, counterpart at the State Department, Dan Crittenbrink, and also with uh, uh, his National Security Council uh, equivalent um, in terms of at the assistant secretary levels. So at least these talks are going on. Um, that's to be expected, as I've mentioned, because both sides want to step up the diplomacy if the leaders are going to indeed get together And have a face-to-face meeting here over the next four or five months. So uh, not real progress uh, in any tangible way, but uh, the process is kind of not gathering steam exactly, but at least moving forward. And I think that's uh, more than we had a few months ago when everything was stalled.
0: Um, Let me uh, take you to the military exercise. What does the audience need to know uh, about what Australia was uh, uh, hosting? And maybe if you can give us a quick, uh, right, I mean, almost every week, there appears to be some form of AUKUS uh, update. Um, We talked about it a little bit last week in terms of uh, some uh, concerns. Uh, But just give us kind of a quick uh, sketch uh, on the exercises and what new there is uh, from a uh, yeah. perspective.
3: Yeah, so the biennial exercise Taliban Sabre, uh, this was the biggest ever with 13 partners involved. Um, and indeed one tragic uh, incident where four Australian air crew went down with their helicopter. Um, uh, but um, overall, this was coinciding with the Osman meeting where they, where those officials announced um, the force posture upgrades, the accelerating munitions to, to Australia, and regional security integration. Those were the three lines of effort they emphasized um, even while Talisman Sabre was going on and kind of demonstrating this growing capability with more partners because there were more there than ever. And also there were inaugural observer countries. um, And it was an impressive array of uh, like-minded countries and partners from uh, the Indo-Pacific present or participating in Talisman Sabre while you had Secretary Austin and, and Secretary Blinken talk about the forced posture upgrades that are happening in, in all the Australian states almost, I mean, because uh, not just in Northern Australia, but in Queensland, Western Australia, they're they're preparing, this is the AUKUS-related, a couple of AUKUS-related issues. One of them is they're preparing um, Sterling in Western Australia where to become this sub submarine rotational west port for AUKUS. That is, it's going to be the, the place where we bring American and ultimately British subs uh, regularly into port, working with Australians while the Australians get ready to get subs, including potentially the Virginia class sub um, from the United States. Um, and the way they're preparing for it, one way they're preparing for it is to send more U.S. submarines for longer periods of time, starting now and this year. So that's happening now. And they're talking about uh, and, and they're also building a new uh, interim logistics space in Victorian state um, for all types of uh, military cooperation operation. That's interesting on the force posture side, accelerating munitions, they're mostly trying to upgun the Australian fleet by uh, pushing mark 48 torpedoes and SM2 missiles um, right. and co-producing munitions. But on regional security integration where they're going to be doing more with Japan on f-35s and integrated air and missile defenses, And leveraging those cutters, I talked about uh, the cutter that's coming. Um, They're also going to be conducting exercises that could be AUKUS related as well. Even while um, where Japan is uh, figures in is still more in the uh, sort of advanced capabilities, uh, not the submarine itself, but the advanced capabilities cooperation that uh, they're they're still waiting to uh, sort of fully explain what their priorities are in the next uh, next few months. Oh, and Vago, by the way, and I know Mark Montgomery discussed this on the Monday program, but the arms sales to Taiwan will be added fuel for the fire here with uh, tensions with China. So uh, in addition to the $345 million valued uh, drawdown of stingers and drones and small arms, now the Biden administration is talking about adding to the Ukraine supplemental money that would fund arms directed to Taiwan as a way to expedite and break through again this years-long logjam of, of giving arms to, to, to Taiwan. Um, China is up in arms, so to speak, about both of these approaches. Uh, clearly, they don't like the United States getting their act together potentially and, and expediting arms to Taiwan. Um, so I think this will only add further fuel again to the tensions that we're likely to see around the, the time of the vice president of Taiwan's uh, transit through the United States.
0: Thanks very much, uh, Patrick. Uh, and Dov, I want to go to you to bring it over the finish line. Right, right, two words, uh, Iran and uh, Israel. Bring us up to speed on what we need to know because the U.S. is uh, getting a little bit more proactive in terms of how it deals with uh,
1: Tehran and its
0: mischief in uh, the Gulf.
1: Well, a little bit more proactive is probably an understatement, Vago. Um, we have sent, in addition to uh, A-10, Uh, aircraft, which are great tank killers, and uh, uh, another destroyer to the Gulf, we are on on July 10th, so that's not all that long ago, uh, two major uh, amphibious ships uh, left port for the Gulf. One of them, uh, the Bataan, is an amphibious assault ship. And just to remind our listeners, uh, those ships are 40,000 tons. They are bigger than most aircraft carriers, and they can carry F-35Bs, and they carry Apache attack helicopters. This is a very serious, powerful ship, and they've also sent out the Carter Hall, which is a a landing ship. Now, the real news, uh, which we've almost officially uh, announced, but not not entirely yet is that we are going to be placing Marines on commercial ships in the Gulf, uh, assuming that the, sh- that the uh, flags that under which the ships uh, operate, the countries that uh, uh, operate those ships are prepared for us to do so. And we're gonna put Marines on them. And uh, that is essentially telling the Iranians, you folks have been seizing ships since 2019, well, uh, make my day. Uh, and I just want to remind everybody that during the tanker war back in the eighties, when we reflagged ships, uh, we never put Marines on them. Uh, and we, and we actually fought a one day Naval engagement with the Iranians and the Iranians have long memories. This is a huge deal and we'll have to see how it plays out. Uh, everybody unofficially is saying this is going to happen, uh, but they haven't officially announced it yet. As far as Israel is concerned, uh, right now, uh, they're in recess. The court's in recess. The demonstrations, of course, continue. Um, and uh, Mr. Netanyahu will be visiting China roughly around the same time that the BRI conference takes place, the middle of October. Uh, and he has yet to be invited uh, to the White House or to have a date set specifically. Uh, he, President Biden simply said he's going to meet with him. So here you have the Israelis, I think, uh, playing with fire. They've already alienated most Democrats and most American Jews. Uh, Now it looks like they really want to alienate uh, Republicans as well, who are deeply concerned about China's influence in the region. Um, Do you think that that's going
0: to happen, given how close Republicans, uh, right? I mean, there is, uh, it's an unwritten compact now between Netanyahu uh,
1: and the party. Um, Does it- uh, you know, uh, obviously, that's exactly what he's calculating. He's figuring he can get away with it. Um, maybe he can. But, you know, there are some people in, in in both the House and the Senate who are deeply concerned about China's role in the region. And uh, his trip is simply not very helpful. Now, we, you know, we've had issues with the Israelis over the years. I, I've written about this uh, and I have a piece coming out tomorrow about it. Um, you know everything from them uh, shipping, wanting to ship uh, high tech weaponry to China, uh, dual use uh, capabilities to China. We got finally got them to tighten up on their technology transfer. Um, we don't object to their having a relationship with China. Uh, what we object to is is the depth of that relationship, and that it not come at the expense of the United States. Uh
0: excellent, uh excellent point. And actually you were uh in the administration, in the Bush administration, when there were revelations of serious um American technology
1: having well, gotten into China. It, it goes back much further. Uh I was the guy, as many people know, who, who led the charge to kill the Israeli Lavi aircraft. And then a few years later, the uh, an identical aircraft shows up in the Chinese Air Force.
0: Maybe you shouldn't have killed it. Uh, maybe,
1: <laughs>
0: maybe we should have been the one buying it uh, a little bit like the the kefir uh, at the end of the day. Anyway. Uh, Another story entirely. Everybody, thanks very much. Really appreciate it. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Uh, Thanks so much as always uh, for uh, joining us. Thanks to the audience for joining us. We really appreciate it. And a very special thanks to Bell for their generous sponsorship that makes this program uh, possible every day. Uh, Join us again on Sunday for the Business uh, Roundtable. In the meantime, hope everybody has a great weekend. Thanks very much and have a great day.